Folks, if you're liking what you're getting from 30MPC, the number one way you can support us is by subscribing to our newsletter. Every week, you only get two emails. On Monday, you get a content roll-up of everything that dropped last week. And on Fridays, I pick one topic and I personally write a deep dive on things like how to cold call, how to run a discovery call, or even how to hire an AE. So if you're liking what you're getting here, take two seconds, go to the show notes. You'll see a button to subscribe to our newsletter, or you can go to 30mpc.com backslash newsletter and do it there. We'll catch you soon. Cheers. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes to President's Club. My name is Armand Froak, and I'm here with my co-host, Mark Cosaglow. And we have a 30MPC legend who has just taken on his newest head of marketing CMO role. He was formerly the CMO over at Clary. Yes, it is the one and only now CMO over at Copy AI, Kyle Coleman. Mark, why should people listen? Well, if you don't follow Kyle on LinkedIn, you're losing out. He's one of the most tactical LinkedIn content creators that there is. Like you can literally read his stuff and use it that same day. And I think that this episode is just more of that. Like, you know how Armand, you know, a real operator, so they really knows what they're doing is you can ask them pretty much anything. And they're like, oh yeah, let me show you this sheet. Oh yeah, let me tell you the three steps. And every time you ask it, it's the same three steps. And Kyle Coleman might be an AI himself with how consistent he is with the quality of unbelievably good answers. <laughs> you know that's a compliment when Mark says Kyle may in fact be AI himself. But while humans are still doing the work, Kyle also uh, to this point, he has an activity calculator that he's giving away for free as well. So go get that in the show notes. I just put it down there and hang on for the episode right now. And three, two, one, let's ride. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. If you get an email and the action required on that email is going to take you less than two minutes to do, do it on the spot. It's not worth adding it to your to-do list, having to look at the item, remember what you need to do. That's going to take you more than two minutes anyway. So do it on the spot, get it off your plate. Now we documented our best templates and tips to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang. And you can get that documentation for free at the link in the show notes. Today's tactic to triple your connect rate is brought to you by RocketReach, who provides data that lets you reach out to the right person at the right account at the right time. Every time you're reaching out to an account, pull down the contacts again. Yes, I know it sucks, but the average tech tenure is two years, which means 50% of the workforce turns over every year. So look up the account, pull anyone who was hired, and scratch anyone who was left. And one way you can pull verified and accurate data is with Rocket Reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes. Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline forward is to every single day, pull up a list of all of your open opportunities and look at each opportunity by stage and think, what can I do today that will increase my likelihood of winning this deal? That's how you keep your ops moving forward in between meetings that you have on the calendar. Now, we documented five cheat codes that can help you cut your sales cycle in half with Pipedrive. There's a link in the show notes to steal them. Your Zoom Info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Why? Because that's the email subject line you'll use when you get a real-time notice that your prospect Jane just got promoted. From there, in the email, explain how Zoom Info helps rising sales leaders win their first 90 days on the job by highlighting coaching opportunities or supporting a team-wide prospecting push. And you can try out this trigger-based email template for prospect promotion and four other scenarios inspired by Zoom Info's go-to-market plays. Link in the show notes. All right, Kyle, welcome to your first edition on The Leadership Show. We start 
every show with your top three actionable takeaways. Let's get your three. Number one, redefine your talent profile. For some reason, hiring managers are seduced by or obsessed with pedigree. Where did this person go to school or what did their parents do or something stupid like that? I've never seen those types of things correlate to success. Hire for aptitude, hire for attitude. Don't get obsessed over somebody's pedigree on paper. So something that I really like to do is I like to ask people in an interview setting, just tell me something you're passionate about, anything in your life that you're passionate about. I've had people talk to me about whales, about free will, about all sorts of things, and just hearing their energy, hearing their excitement, hearing their passion, effectively selling me on their passion. I'm like, okay, if I can get this person as excited about my company as they are about this passion of theirs, they're going to be just fine. So it's a good test for communication. It's a good test for how much they care for engagement, all these things. So think outside the box for your talent profile. Think outside the box in your interview settings. You will be better off. I'm sold on tip number one. Sell me on tip number two, Kyle. (laughs) Number two, go deep and wide during onboarding. Most managers are very good at going deep. And we'll just use SDRs as a sort of example here, but I think the same is true with AEs, with marketing folks, all sorts of go-to-market people. But for SDRs, a lot of hiring managers will train them on, here's how to write a cold email, here's how to make cold calls. We're going to endlessly coach you on this for 30 days, and then we're going to set you free. And that's great, and you have to do that. But there's way, way more to modern SDR roles than just cold calling or just emailing. So make sure that you're going wide. Give them exposure to the product. Don't expect them to be able to give a full demo like a sales engineer, but expect them to be able to give a five-minute demo like they're at a trade show booth. Amazing. All right, Kyle, bring us home. Number three. Number three, the least glamorous of any tip I've ever given on 30 Minutes President's Club, and here we are. And that tip is document everything. I learned this lesson the hard way as a first-time manager. You are infinitely unscalable. You cannot bring somebody in and sit with them for 40 hours a week every single time you bring on a new person. It just does not work. You have your own job to do, and hopefully your team is big enough where that just will not scale. So you have to go through the somewhat unpleasantness of writing things down, creating videos, making sure that your onboarding can be self-guided so that your knowledge is compounding, your knowledge is scaling itself. And if you can do that and do that well, it's going to benefit you because your thoughts are going to be crystallized, they're going to be clearer, your instructions will be better. But it's also going to benefit your team because you're going to be able to give them the fundamentals on paper, and then you're going to coach them on the trickier stuff in real time. Let's get into this hiring profile, talent profile. I think this is like, this is it right here. Like we all know if you've been a leader, the people help you or they hurt you. And you can help them a ton, but like if you don't have the right raw materials, you never end up with the finished product. So I want to know top one or two secret traits Kyle Coleman looks for that everybody else is ignoring. The trait that I look for is when I'm hiring, I'm thinking about the individual and how to make them successful, of course. But I'm also thinking about the dynamics of the team that I have and where are we already strong as a team and where perhaps are we a little weak as a team. And sports metaphors, if you're any team that you're building, sports team, if it's basketball or soccer or football or whatever, you're not hiring or or bringing on five of the same people on your basketball team or 11 of the same people on the football team. It's just not the way it works. Everybody needs to have complementary skills. And that's what I'm doing when I'm hiring. I'm understanding what my team is already good or bad at and where we need help. And then when I'm evaluating candidates, I'm thinking to myself, can they be the person? 
that helps complement the weakness of the team? Are they the type of person who will benefit from some of the existing strengths we have as a team? So ensuring that they have a really good perspective on their strengths and weaknesses, making sure you have a really good understanding of where they excel individually and where they don't, and then where they can benefit the team, and then grilling them on that and saying, hey, are you going to be willing to help your teammates out? So theoretically, it makes a ton of sense. Give me a practical story. You weren't looking or didn't know you wanted something. Like, how did you trip into this? What is a story in our example where like you hired this and it really up-leveled the team? Like, make it real for me. Yeah. So early days, a couple companies ago, a company called Looker, we were having a hard time with the cross-functional communication type stuff. And we knew that was a gap. And we're like, man, we feel like we're operating really well in our own little silo. We had a room in the office that we called the shark tank. It was just where we existed, boiler room type thing. And we were super closely knit, doing really well, but we we're having a hard time cultivating that kind of relationship with the AEs and with the SEs. And so what I needed is I needed a connector. I needed somebody who was a relationship first person who I knew was going to go out of their way to get to know people personally, to extend the olive branch, to be at the happy hours, to be that kind of social butterfly, that social glue. It's really, really important. And so I was looking for somebody who had that kind of experience, somebody who led committees in college or was it the team captain in sports things or just somebody who was that person. I think the talent stuff is so interesting because you need to have those traits or those characteristics or those, you know, common skills that someone has. But what you're saying is a little bit more fluid than that. Like, don't have like, here's our core competencies. There are six things. We grade against those six things. And wherever you land on the six things, if you're great, you get hired. If you're not, you're saying it's a little more dynamic than that. That sounds hard, though. So, like, how does somebody do it so that it's not super hard, like assessing all these things? It's a great question, Mark. And it's a yes and for me. The core competencies, yes, you have to test against those. But the intangible part of it is just as important. I'm not going to say more important, but just as important. And it's hard for a reason. And it's hard because it's the thing that matters most. You can have the best product in the world, the best process in the world. If you don't have the right people to go execute that process, to sell that product, you're not going to succeed. With all apologies to the PLG people out there and the if you build it, they will come people out there. It just ain't true. You need to have the people that can go and do the work. And so investing the time really understanding what you're looking for and why, go out of your way. Know that when I'm in hiring mode, Mark, I'm sure you're in the similar camp, 40, 50% of my time is spent hiring. I'm doing the screens. I'm doing the first rounds of interviews. I'm doing the final rounds of interviews because it's that important. This is where your leverage comes from. Invest in it. So Kyle, I'm curious because my guess is you're never like, you know, I really need to hire an SDR who's a terrible communicator because we just have too many good communicators on. You know, today's the day where we get that person who misspells all of their follow-up emails. We really need some of that. So there are probably some non-negotiables that you've figured out that you're always looking for in an SDR interview process. And I've met some of your SDRs in the past. I've seen you lead teams. You run an amazing SDR team. And so if I'm an SDR manager, a director, a leader here, and I'm trying to design my first SDR interview process, what are the 80% of things that you're always testing for? And how do you test for those things? Always looking for, uh, you said it, Armand, communication skills, written and verbal. Absolutely critical. Now, it doesn't mean they need to have you know this wonderful vocabulary and memorize the dictionary and, and all that sort of stuff. Like That's a, not what I'm talking about here. They need to be effective 
communicators to be able to synthesize information and share that information, both written and verbally, and create this in your interview process. I think of the mistake a lot of people make is they say, oh, you know, I'm hiring an SDR at my company. I'm going to have them sell me my company. Come in and give me an elevator pitch for my company or give me a demo of my product. And there are certain benefits to that. But why I always think that fails is because you're holding them at a standard that there's no way they can achieve. Like, you know your product way better than they ever can by spending as many hours as possible on your website. So if you're going to have them come in and sell something, have them sell something they've sold in the past. I found that to be a much, much more fair assessment of their ability to communicate and not just, you know, giving the live pitch or demo or whatever it may be, but also the follow-up. So I have them effectively, Armand, give me the sales cycle, send me your pre-meeting email, give me the actual live and run the meeting, and then send me your follow-up email. And then I get two writing samples from them. I get their demo or their pitch and I get live Q&A. So I effectively have two written samples and two verbal samples that I can evaluate them against. And I'm looking for all sorts of things in that evaluation, but it's all the hallmarks of sales competencies. Give me your secret, super dope interview question. Yeah, I, so I, I gave you mine already, but I'll restate it here the way that I actually do in interview settings. I say to people, tell me about the thing in your life that you're thinking about right now and you get chills, like you get goosebumps. Or it's a thing that you jump out of bed in the morning, you can't wait to do. Or it's a thing that when you're thinking about it or doing it, you lose track of time. What is that for you and why? Tell me about it. Sell me on it. And then we just have a conversation. And this is probably five or 10 minutes of a 45 or 60 minute interview. Like this is a good part of the interview because it should be a back and forth. It should be a conversation. And again, it tells me a lot of what I need to know about their ability and willingness to communicate. So Kyle, my guess is you're not doing all of these things in the first round or the second round, et cetera, right? There's the classic behavioral screen. There's the mock demo, et cetera. Could you just give the audience a sense of, What's the sequence of events or how many steps are there in the SDR interview process? And what are the different gates in that process? So for me, it's different for everybody, Armand, but the process that I've been running for 10 or so years has been initial phone screen with the hiring manager, which is 30, 45 minutes, more on the nose competency type questions. Why are you interested in this role? Tell me about your background, that sort of thing. Then there are three rounds of live interviews. And those three rounds, what I like to do, and this is a little bit unusual, is I like to have pairs of interviewers from my team in a two-on-one interview setting because a lot of people are not great interviewers. You guys have probably been in this situation before. And what I've found is that having two people from my team sitting in those interviews, one, gives me a better read, more feedback on the candidate, but two, it just makes the interview have a better dynamic so each of those three interviews, it's six total people, obviously. They each have a different topic. One of them is on the nose, like sales competencies. One of them is more experiential, who are you, where you been sort of thing. And one of them is the live demo type. And then there's a final interview with me, which is more of the softer skill stuff. So it's quite a bit of time. And as I mentioned before, it requires six plus me people, plus our HR team and everybody else who does all the behind the scenes stuff. So it's a pretty heavy lift, but I find it to be very worth it. So you've hired these soft skill complementary players onto the squad. Now you got to get them onboarded, right? And in the tip section of this podcast, she's talked a little bit about, hey, let's just go beyond the skills of the job, like cold calling, writing emails, researching, sourcing, like 
you got to learn those. Those are table stakes. But there's this other bank of information out there. What banks of information have you found most beneficial for an SDR type person to have exposure to that's helped them in their actual job? What I would say to managers of not just for SDR, but for any manager is you need to raise the bar on the expectations that you have of people. If your expectations are just that they come in and perform the bullets on their job description, you're leaving something on the table. You're not getting enough out of people. You're over-specialized, in my opinion. And so find ways for them. Yes, they need to be performing in their role. Yes, they have to have the base of knowledge that they're going to execute you know, 80% of their day with. But the rest of what they're interested in, you as a manager, you need to go out of your way to take an interest in that so that I can know, okay, cool, you've been here for 30 days, you have kind of the basics of the job down. What do you want to do longer term? What do you think is an interesting path for you? Is it sales engineering? Is it sales? Is it engineering? Is it marketing? Like, where is it? Talk to me. And you may not know, and that's fine, but let's just pick one and we'll start to explore it. And then that bank of knowledge that you just talked about, Mark, is in service of what they think they're going to be interested in in their career. So if you're interested in moving from an SDR into an AE role, then you better know the sales cycle. You better get cozy with a couple AEs. You better follow deals. You better learn how to do really in-depth discovery. You better learn how to do a demo. You better learn how to actually run a deal in the paper process and all the rest. And if you're not going out of your way to do that when I'm giving you the time and space to do it, you're showing me you're not actually interested. And you can do that and carve out side projects for whatever role they want to pursue in the future and, and leverage that bank of knowledge that other teams or other hiring managers have. And you do a couple things. You One, you prove to the person on your team that you're investing in their personal growth. Very, very important. Number two, for that person, they prove to themselves that that career path is actually something they're interested in or not. And number three, you prove to the hiring manager on that team that this person on your team is interested. So next time there is an open role on that team, they can throw their hat in the ring and it'll make sense. So constantly look for those types of things and don't over-specialize. And now I need to be very clear here. Somebody has to earn the right to take on this extra work. So earn the right by actually, you know, getting the activity numbers where they need to be, getting performance in their own role where it needs to be. And once they've proven that they can do that, then you need to broaden their horizons, expand their scope, try and find other areas that are going to be in service of their longer term career progression. So Kyle, there's some built-in flex time to figure out what you actually want to do. And then there's also the time that you're spending to actually teach them, this is how you send a cold email. This is how many cold emails you should send, how many meetings you should be booking and all that stuff. I've gone back and forth between having a long onboarding program versus being like, with SDR, get them in the action quick because the academics aren't going to go very far. And so what does your onboarding program look like when you get a batch of five chipper SDRs ready to be part of your team? How many weeks? What are the general sessions, et cetera? Yeah, so full to graduate from onboarding, Armand, it's 90 days. Now, that does not mean that they're just sitting there twiddling their thumbs for 90 days. It means to fully graduate from the onboarding program, it takes three months. And to fully graduate, that means you're proficient in a five-minute demo. You are not only executing all the activity mix, email, call, social, et cetera, but you're training other people on how to do whatever your strength is. Like there are exit criteria that go way beyond just the box checking exercise of, well, they passed the cold email certification, so now we can set them free. That's the first 30 days. The first 30 days is super literal task 
how do I write a good email? How do I make a good phone call? Objection handling, all those sorts of things. And there's certification processes for each and they have to pass the bar and all that. And then after that 30 days, that's when they're out in the wild and doing prospecting. And then for the next two months, it's sharpening all of the other softer kind of skills and the broader company understanding type things that they need to do. So Kyle, I'm um, curious. You can have an SDR be great at sourcing accounts. You have an SDR great at sourcing personas and contacts. You have an SDR that's great at writing emails or great at cold calls. Which one do you think is the most important skill to nail in onboarding for SDRs? You know, Mark, I know this is going to feel like it's something of a dodge, but I really... Don't say all of them. <laughs> no, it's not all of them. It, it's not all of them, but it is any of them. And what I mean by that is if somebody is the best on the team at any one of those four or whatever categories, they can be 60%, 70% good at the rest of them and be super successful. There's a concept, I think the book is called Strengths Finder, where it helps you identify all of your strengths. And a lot of people think, well, okay, I've identified these five strengths. Now I need to go get these other 33 strengths that are not on my list. And the principles in Strengths Finder is, no, no, you lean as heavily as possible into those five strengths because that's how you're going to get the most out of yourself. That's how you're going to be the most useful, beneficial to your team, to your company. And that's how I operate as well. If I know that you are the best cold email writer in the world, then of course I want you spending a disproportionate amount of your time writing cold email and training the rest of the team on how to do that. But if that's the only thing you do, that's a major problem. So you need to make the phone calls. You need to do the work on social. You need to source the leads. You need to build the account plans. But proportionately, you should spend the most time on what you're already really frigging good at. That's how we're going to perform individually. That's how we're going to perform as a team. So I, I'm very intentional about trying to find those strengths. And I don't honestly care which of the categorically your strength falls into. I can't say one is better than the other because again, I'm trying to build a team of well-rounded people that complement each other. Would you let someone that's awesome at emails completely forego cold calling? Or do you think there's some minimum stuff that you have to do in all those areas? I would never do that, Mark, because some prospects will never respond to an email. Some prospects will never pick up the phone. Some prospects will only pick up the phone or only respond to an email. And so if you are only executing one thing, what are you doing? It doesn't make any sense. And so you have to execute an omni-channel approach. Otherwise, you're inevitably leaving something on the table. So I'm curious on that then. Kyle, you talked about those first 30 days being the literal, how do I do each task certifications? So I imagine there's cold calling, cold emailing, account research, et cetera. What is that punch list? In other words, how many certifications come after that first 30 days? And then what do those certifications actually look like from a practicality if I wanted to implement them today on my team? Yeah, not necessarily in order, Armand, but they go something like cold email, cold calling, video messaging, LinkedIn prospecting or networking. We kind of think about it as both. Organizing your week, so like managing your calendar and defining your activity mix. So those are the six things that we're really, really like militant about because those are non-negotiable. You have to understand how to execute all four of those activities, email, and actually email is two types of email. It's personalized email as well as kind of generic templatized emails by persona, cold call, video messaging, and LinkedIn. And then you need to be able to organize your calendar so you can execute the activity mix that you set for yourself. If you can go and do that well, you're going to be in excellent shape. And we want to make sure walking out of 30 days, everybody is really well equipped to do that. 
we're talking a lot about SDRs. There's a undertone that SDRs are going away. They're not as effective. Outbound isn't working. We can replace them all. And I'm not going to say the two letters, but everybody knows which ones I'm going to say. AI. Oh, Here it is. You busted it, Armand. <laughs> if we can create something that can write the emails, we can create something that can make the cold calls. Like, how are you thinking about that as a leader? So, especially in my new role here at Copy AI, it is not about replacing people. It's about eliminating the menial, eliminating the mundane, and making people way more effective. And so can we write the best ever email you've ever seen? Probably not. But can we provide a really solid starting point to when you're selling into a CRO who just rolled out new territories and has XYZ pain point? Yeah. So we can make all of these research-oriented workflows much, much faster so that SDRs are better equipped or any prospecting people are better equipped to go and run their or do their jobs better. Now, what I think will happen, Mark, is... I think the over-specialized nature of especially SaaS companies will probably start, the walls will probably start to kind of crumble across the silos. And so you'll start to see more SDRs taking on more of an inside sales type role. You'll start to see AEs doing more of an SE job. You'll just start to see a little bit more of a return to full cycle that we in the last 20 years in SaaS really got away from because we were allowed to be inefficient from a go-to-market standpoint. And that is no longer the case. Markets are not rewarding growth at all costs. And so we need to be hyper-focused on growth at low cost and tearing down the silos between those kind of over-specialized roles, I think is really important. And I think AI is going to be a critical, critical thing to help make that happen. Kyle, one of the things that I know you're really, really big on is, especially with AI, just the random blasting of responses is actually going to be like worse than what a machine can do, Right. And I know you tend to be very big on personalization, especially from your past at Clary. Clary is oftentimes selling to bigger accounts where there are not a million folks that you're going after. There is a finite number. And so first 30 days, I finish my boot camp and I get my activity mix direction. What do you typically give as guidelines for how many activities you're doing, what kind of activities you're doing after your first 30 days? The answer to this question depends on individual performance. And what I mean by that is there are key conversion rates for every activity that you really need to know. Let's just use cold calling as an example, but this translates to any of the other activities I mentioned. So the cold calls you make, and then at the bottom of the funnel, there's the meetings that you get from those cold calls. But in between, there are really important conversion rates. Number one, how many dials does it take for you to get a connection? What is your connection rate? Number two, of those connections, how many conversations does it take for you to get a meeting? Very important. And then third, those meetings that you said, if you're on a qualified meeting quota, which I think most SDRs, top of funnel teams are, what percent of the meetings that you book by a phone are qualified? So those conversion rates are different for everybody. And you need to understand how well you perform so that you can apply those conversion rates and you can create your own sort of quasi-calculator to say, if I make 100 calls a day this week, here are the meetings that I should expect to get. There are people who it takes them 100 dials to get one connection. And there are some people where it takes them 20 dials to get one connection. Well, what the heck are those people doing that's five times more efficient than the other person? Like understand their secrets. And so if we can create that framework that is guided, like here are the activities you need to do. But within that framework, there's autonomy for people to do the work the way that they want to strategically. 
then we start to find little ways that we can evolve the process bottoms up, transmit it across the team, and everybody gets better. But you need to understand your individual conversion rates so that you can create your plan, and then you can go attack that plan in the way you stay organized. Boom. Kyle, I knew you had the email chops on the IC podcast, but you got the leadership ones too. And the final question still stands, but I want to hear your leadership answer, which is, there are many bad habits that leaders practice every single day. You've talked about many good ones. If there is one bad habit that you could shatter into pieces and make sure no sales leader ever did it ever again, what would that be? Creating a team of miniature yous, expecting everybody to be successful the same way you were, expecting everybody to execute the same activity mix as you do, expecting everybody to speak about the product the same way you do or did. That is such a recipe for disaster. It is... A mistake that I made for sure. And once I started seeing that, A, not everybody's the same as me. I didn't hire six different versions of myself. I hired people that have different skill sets, different ways of thinking, different ways of speaking, of communicating. And I started to see they have different relative strengths. Maybe instead of trying to punch them in the face and make them turn into me, I should allow them to spread their wings and find success other ways and evolve our processes bottoms up. Try your best to be eyes wide open if that is a, something that you're doing as a leader and try as hard as you can to course correct. Kyle, you just ruined my dream of having the five foot four armada because I'm five foot seven and I was only going to hire people shorter than me. And if I could find a whole army of them, I would do it today. Kyle, amazing show. Even though you ruined my dreams at the end, everyone hang on for a 60 second recap coming up soon. Cheers, folks. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. This actionable competitive tactic from Clue is the trap question. Steer discovery toward the winning zone. If we're competing with a podcast that has no newsletter or webinar series, we might ask a trap question like, how do you figure out if those podcast listeners are making their way to your mailing list? And when you're in a head-to-head, there's no better way to prepare for your next competitive battle than with our trap questions and battle card templates from our friends at Clue. The link's in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes. Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto-reminders for everything. If I expect any reply from a prospect, I press Command-H, and superhuman pops it right back into my inbox if I don't get a reply in two days. That means if you handle an objection, if you suggest times for a meeting, or if you ask for cuts back on red lines, always create a two-day reminder task and assume they will not reply. So if you want to follow up on time every time, you can get a free month of superhuman by checking it out in the show notes. All righty, Mark, what'd you think? I think that Kyle is probably one of the foremost SDR thinkers that there is. I think that's just his 
wheelhouse. He's really put in the work there. And I think in this episode, it's pretty apparent. Like he's not talking all about how to do cold call openers. I'm sure he's got that nailed too. But he's talking about the stuff that if you're teaching somebody cold call openers, they are going to actually excel with it. And I think that that's like the secret sauce. Yeah. I love how he has certain competencies that he's built throughout the hiring process to the onboarding process. So he has your sales competencies, your experiential stuff, your live demo. He has those in the interview. And then throughout his onboarding program, he then repeats those things and adds on a little bit more through six certifications. But then what he does is he's also really big on just not being a micromanager and letting people find their superpower and building enough flex in the onboarding process and the hiring process to allow for like different types of personalities and superpowers to enter the team. Yeah. I mean, we didn't get into the the last tip very much, the document everything thing, but I think the rest of the episode shows why it's so important to do that because you can't be so sharp like he is, which that sharpness, people will see it. They feel it. They get confidence from it when you're teaching them and training them and leading them. And I'm telling you, that confidence comes from the fact that he's sat down, written it out, and he's got a real touchstone of this is what I believe, how this should be done or how this should be worked. And that creates a whole bunch of ripple effects for your team. Bingo. Well, folks, Kyle is an absolute machine. If you want to be an activity machine, he gave you that activity calculator in the show notes. Go grab it. And folks, please give Kyle a wonderful hello and connection on LinkedIn. Congratulate him on his new gig and congratulate him for being one of the best 30 MPC guests of all time. Cheers, folks. Have an awesome kickoff to the new year. Today's tip to optimize your sales day is brought to you by Boomerang. Obsessive checking of your inbox is a total waste of time and brain power. Instead, commit to checking your inbox and responding to email at set times throughout the day. I'm a fan of Boomerang's pause inbox function to keep myself from getting distracted by my inbox. Now, we documented our best templates and tools to help you optimize your sales day with our friends at Boomerang, and you can get that for free at the link in the show notes. Gong's going to help you run the five-minute drill at the end of all of your calls today. At the end of a call, pressure test the prospect with three questions. Number one, do you want to buy? If the answer is no, why set a next step at all? Number two, when do you want to buy? If it's tomorrow, we got to move fast. Number three, how do you buy? Based on the first two answers, I can now adequately decide if and how I set a next step. And this was stolen from the Gong 30 MPC 90-Minute Masterclass, and you can steal it too in the show notes.